listening to SBS On The Money with Ricardo Gonsalves. Hi everyone, it's a daily 10-minute business and finance news wrap for this Friday, the 11th of March, 2022. The Australian share market ended the week lower. The S&P ASX 200 down 0.9% this Friday, 7,063. It comes as US inflation rose by 7.9% annually, and that is a 40-year high. And it doesn't even really take into account the impact of the Ukraine-Russia conflict and the recent run-up in oil prices. So what does that mean for the market and what does it mean for interest rates and your investments? For more on all of that, I spoke earlier with Tony Sycamore, who's an analyst at City Index. Well, the magnitude of the inflation shock is really a function of the direction that the war in Ukraine takes. And by that, I mean the war in Ukraine is a lot closer to the beginning to the end. And what this means is we're now looking at a period of inflation over the past 40 years where investors have just never, ever seen inflation above five and a half percent before. And now here we are, here we are edging up towards eight percent. The danger that we have for shareholders is the fact that the high inflation rate is something we've never encountered in in 40 years. And the other factor here is that it becomes more entrenched. As inflation expectations rise, that will force central banks to be more aggressive with their rate rises than they otherwise would have been. And we saw evidence of that last night. I think most people were expecting the ECB to be relatively dovish. However, instead of being concerned by the fact that there's a war on their doorstep and the hit that that will provide to consumer confidence and the overall region in terms of how the war may spread throughout if Russia isn't stopped, the ECB decided to instead focus on inflation. So they were in a little bit of a tug of war there. But when push came to shove, the ECB decided to end or to fasten, to speed up the part, the pace of its taper. And that, to me, is a real sign that central banks do not want high inflation to become entrenched. They're very worried by what that might mean. And the only way they can get on top of that is by starting to be a little bit more aggressive in their rhetoric and also the pace of their rate rises. So that's the ECB, the FOMC in the US. Uh, it meets next week. Is there a real chance that it might be more aggressive than first thought when it comes to lifting interest rates? I think if we go back four weeks before that February 24th date when Russia troops entered Ukraine, the real narrative around the markets was just whether there was going to be a 25 basis point hike or a 50 basis point hike by the Fed in March, i.e. next week. However, if there's been one silver lining from the war in Ukraine is the fact that it's forced a dovish reassessment of interest rate expectations, which means that the market is now looking for just a 25 basis point hike. And that has effectively been pre-signaled as well by Fed Chair Powell. So if he was to come out now and do anything other than a 25 basis point, given the uncertainty that we're seeing in the equity markets, I mean, we're seeing equity markets up 3%, down 3%. They're very, very volatile. And if he was to come out now and to go with that 50 basis point hike and err on the side of, hey, we've got to break this inflation cycles back before it gets too far out of control, that would be a really bad thing for shares. And I think when we look towards where shares can go, if you look at the average recession in the US, share markets tank about 25%. And here we are down about 12, 12% roughly. And that means there is room to go on the downside. If, if we started to see more aggressive rate hikes, if we started to get the chances of a recession increasing, I think they're sitting about 30 or 40% at the moment. If the market starts to price in a higher chance of a recession, that means that share markets have to trade lower from where they are now. 
While we're talking central banks, uh, earlier this week, the uh, Deputy Australian Reserve Bank Governor, Guy Debell, uh, said he'd leave his position at the RBA after 25 years and he's leaving in the next couple of weeks to take a, a job in the private sector. Um, it, I guess it more than likely means that uh, Philip Lowe, the governor, may stay on a little bit longer. But given all of that, the, the, the fact that interest rates around the world are, are moving higher, what do, what do you think it means for the Australian Reserve Bank and monetary policy here? Well, it's an interesting time for DeBell to leave. I've been fortunate to hear him speak a number of times. He's been in that seat for a very long time. He is a very astute macro thinker, and he will be a loss to, to the board And in a, in, a, in a way that I don't know that they can replace immediately. There is very smart people that can sort of move to fill that role in due course, but not with that experience which he's brought to the table for so many years. So it is a loss for Lowe, and it does mean that he may need to stick around a little bit longer, but... Look, in terms of what it means for the RBA's monetary policy, I don't think it's going to – I think the course is set. And there was discussion that we'd see an interest rate hike April, which doesn't make any sense to me. There's no way the RBA is going to hike before a federal government election. It just doesn't make any sense whatsoever. So I'm looking towards the middle of the year, potentially August is when they do hike. And I don't think DeBell leaving will – alter that path. But in the grand scheme of things, he will be a loss for the RBA and the board. There's no doubt about that. That's Tony Sycamore there from City Index. Now, he also mentioned one of the issues when it comes to inflation is that surging oil price. And that comes on the back of the conflict in Ukraine uh, and Russia. Where to now? And what does it mean for the future of interest rates? Here's more of Tony. Yes, well, it's a great question. The, the fact is that we already had a very elevated oil price. It's a very tight market out there, and the war in Ukraine's just aggravated, almost like a, a coiled spring. It's just allowed oil to, to springboard higher, and then that's been compounded by the fact that the UK and the US have also placed uh, full sanctions on Russian oil. Now, let's keep in mind that the Russians supply about 11% of global production of oil. So it is not an insignificant amount. But then earlier this week, we heard talk that potentially the US had been able to discuss with OPEC members being the United Arab Emirates and also Iraq about potentially OPEC increasing production. The problem we have here is that OPEC has consistently missed its targets over the past three or four months. So the target ratchets up each month by about 400,000 barrels per month. And it doesn't matter whether the, the, the target's going up. They just haven't been able to meet those production targets. Countries like Nigeria, Angola, uh, Malaysia have all missed the target. So I don't think this discussion is going to lead anywhere. And I see the oil price being supported. The wild card is a return or a nuclear deal with Iran because Iran currently produces about 2 million barrels of oil per day and that would uh, replace about 33% of Russian oil. They could potentially by the end of the year get upwards of around 4 million barrels per day and there you have a good chunk of the Russian supply which has been taken out of the market coming back on via Iran and I don't think it's any coincidence that we're starting to see more noise about a potential deal. All the rhetoric is they're getting closer, they're getting closer, they're getting closer. Look, the US needs that supply. The world needs that supply. We want to try and nip inflation in the bud. And the only way they can do that is by trying to find producers such as Iran who have been locked out of the market or go to 
potentially countries like the UAE, which has the potential to increase production. Most of the other countries just don't have that capacity. It, it's, they've been under-investing for so long, they can't just turn on the tap and increase the supply whatsoever. Two final questions. Obviously, there's a connection too with currency markets when we took oil and commodities. The Australian dollar um, has been upgraded today by the team at Westpac. Westpac saying it now has a target for the Aussie against the US of 76 by the end of this year and 80 by the end of 2023. How do you see our currency moving? When we talk about currencies, I'm keen to get your take also on on cryptocurrencies because, um, you know, Bitcoin hasn't necessarily been strong of late. No, let's start with the Aussie dollar. I think the Aussie dollar is displaying a Jekyll and Hyde characteristic at the moment. And what that means is when the Aussie's trading closer to 72.50, it's being supported by those very strong commodity prices, the rise in terms of trade, which were no doubt partly behind the thinking for Westpac to lift their forecast. So we know that there's been huge dividend repatriation flows for companies like BHP, Rio and Fortescue. They earn US dollars. Their shareholders want Aussie dollars for their dividends. So that is a transaction which goes through the market, is a physical transaction they need to buy Aussie dollars. So that's been very supportive of the Aussie dollar. The Aussie dollar has also received a safe haven bid by virtue of how far away that we actually are from Europe and the epicentre of the crisis which is playing out over there. So that's been another factor. And then when you overlay the fact that we have these commodities which the world wants, the Aussie dollar has been supported on dips. But moving away from that aspect of the Aussie dollar for a moment, the Aussie dollar is also a risk asset, which means that generally it rises and falls with equities. And equities, as we've said, have been very, very volatile. So I think What that means is the Aussie dollar, as we saw earlier in the week, as it approaches that 75 cent handle, there's going to be sellers up there just because of the fact that it is a risk currency. They do see the Aussie dollar as a good way to play volatility in equity markets. So as I said, we've got this Jekyll and Hyde type personality. Below 72.50, the Aussie feels very well supported to me by the, the stories we've just spoken about. Up towards 75 cents, we're going to see sellers because at the end of the day, it is a risk currency. And that will be playing a part in sellers looking to to, to express their risk off view in the currency market. And very quickly, crypto at the moment? Cryptocurrency, sorry, I forgot that aspect. But cryptocurrencies have been a really interesting, uh, over the past two weeks, we saw the run up about 20% higher that Bitcoin traded on speculation that Russian civilians would look to get out of uh, or to avoid the sanctions and escape the crumbling currency, which is the ruble at this point of time, by looking to get money out the back door through cryptocurrencies. But congressmen and and, and politicians all around the world have sort of woken up to this and they've made some very strong noise. I'm sure they've tapped many of the big crypto exchanges on the shoulder and said, hey, guys, this is a no-go. This is designed to cripple the Russian economy. And if you allow those flows to get out of the country, you're not helping the war effort. And I think one of the things which Putin has done is he's really united the West. You know, business people, corporations, uh, leaders, they don't want to see, uh, they don't really want to punish the Russian people in particular, but they do want to see this war stop. And one way they can do that is by allowing uh, Russians or, or preventing Russians from getting their money out of the currency, out of the country. Now, more recently, we had uh, the Biden administration sign the executive order, which was pretty positive for cryptocurrencies in the medium to longer term. It provides more certainty, more regulation, more oversight, and it will foster that innovation which we're seeing in the digital asset space. However, 
the bigger thematics are still driving Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies, and they are the fact that the Federal Reserve is about to lift interest rates next week, which will reduce the liquidity supply, which has supported cryptocurrencies. And the second aspect is the fact that Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies are trading like a risk asset. It's no coincidence that Bitcoin topped out in November which is when the Nasdaq topped out as well. I mean, the Nasdaq fell 20%, Bitcoin fell 50%. But by and large, Bitcoin has been a high beta version of the Nasdaq. And the Nasdaq, as we said, trading up 3%, down 3%. And Bitcoin is pretty much, well, at this point of time, it, it's tracking those moves in equities. And very quickly, given this environment, where are the opportunities for investors? There's really one word for me at this point of time, Ricardo, and that's gold. And, you know, gold's a, a commodity which I've been particularly bullish on. I think what gold does is it allows investors to get protection from the geopolitical tensions we're seeing in Europe. It also provides a hedge to portfolio risk, i.e. equities, but also it is providing a hedge against inflation. So when we think about what inflation's actually does to, to savings in banks. It's a, it's a stealth tax. So right now, anyone with money in a US bank account um, is losing 8% per year, and the interest rate they're probably getting is, is, is minimal, maybe a, a percent. So what you need to do is to try and protect that devaluation of the fiat currency, and gold has always stood the test of time in that respect, and I think it will continue to do so. It did get within $5 of its all-time high, the August 2020, $2,075 high, got up to $2,070. It fell back, and I think it probably needed to take a correction. But for me, there's going to be medium-term buyers for exactly those reasons we've spoken about, and I continue to look for gold to trade higher, potentially up towards $2,200. So if I could sum it up in one word, as I said, it would be gold. Tony Sycamore there from City Index. This SBS On The Money podcast is provided for informational purposes only content on this podcast should not be understood as constituting advice or a recommendation. It is not personal advice and does not consider your personal circumstances or objectives. You should contact a licensed professional before making any financial decision.